such a good, good morning already. Um, Wendy and team, thank you for leading us um, in some songs of worship as we've gathered together. And we'll do more of that in several minutes, or in a few minutes. Sorry, not several. I'm not going to be up here too long, I hope. Um, you never know. Why do I say things like that? There's no telling when I'm getting down. Um, I have control for a few minutes, and I just might stay here forever. Um, but we'll continue that. Thank you, team, for leading us in that. Um, uh, again, for me, it's been a, a powerful morning already. Um, I ask you just personally for your prayers this week. Um, I leave again today for Chicago. Um, so this spiritual formation cohort, you know, I've been a part of the transforming community. Uh, I am back there again for a few days. Um, so I fly out today and be back Tuesday. Uh, but if you'd pray for safety, uh, that flights not be too nasty as we fly through the rain uh, between here and Chicago. Um, but also that it be a, a great um, just continuing formational time as as my hope and my desire and one of the things that the, the the leader of that, Ruth Haley Barton, says over and over again is that the greatest thing I bring to my leadership is my own transforming soul. And that's my desire. That's my hope and my heart. And that's why we're doing this and what we've been pursuing in this is that God continue to transform me so that I can lead us out of that. Um, so I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the story of David and we're going to be there for a while. Uh, you know lots and lots of the stories of David. Emery said as I came back after reading the text, Daddy, I love that story. And I said, oh, you do? How do you know that story? And she said, somebody read it to me. And I said, well, who do you think that was? And she said, probably mommy or you. And I don't know when we've read that story. But perhaps we've read that start of the story. And she said, I love that story. Granted, it doesn't really matter which story we would have read. She probably would have said, I love that story this morning. Um, sometimes because she's heard them. Sometimes because she just thinks they ha- she has. But um, we know lots and lots of stories of David. David has some of the most known stories in all of Scripture. People in the church and outside the church know the stories of David. His stories, many of them are legendary. They're grand and powerful. They're beautiful and majestic. And it can give us the tendency to assume David must have lived life perfectly. If not perfect, at least nearly perfect. David had figured out somehow what what most of us miss, what most of us can't figure out to do. David surely did everything right. After all, he's the only person in all of Scripture that is called a man after God's own heart. We find that in 1 Samuel 13, and we find it repeated in the book of Acts. So we probably assume he is this perfect example, this perfect model of what it means for us to follow after God. But between now and Christmas, we're going to look at David's life for a while. And between now and Christmas, as we look at David's life, we're going to look at the reality that David was far from perfect. His story is full of lots of flaws and failures, of lots of shortcomings, of lots of incredibly terrible decisions. And yet, even through these flaws and failures, even through his successes and triumphs, there was something unique about David. There was something special about what God was looking to do with David. There was something special about God's desires for David and where David would go and what David would do. There was something God was doing with David. And we find out that it was because of his heart. Because of his faithfulness. 
that even in those struggles, he found his way back to faithfulness. So my hope, and as we look through this, is that we can find lessons, that we can find some tips on how Valley as a church, on how you and I as individuals can become more like a people after God's own heart. As we look at David's story, we have to begin with the reality that in the beginning, David was forgotten. At the very least, overlooked. That's what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, which we read. He was forgotten or overlooked or left out. But before we get there, let me give you a little background. Let's walk through kind of the journey of how we get to this place. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we find the people of Israel coming to Samuel and complaining. Samuel was the high priest. Samuel was God's prophet. Samuel had come along to replace Eli in one of my favorite stories in the very beginning of 1 Samuel. But but Samuel was here to replace Eli. Samuel uh, kind of worked as this intermediary between God and the people. When God wanted to speak to the people, God used Samuel in order to do so. When the people wanted to speak to God, they went through Samuel in order to do so. Samuel was this type of go-between in between the people and God. So as they came and they complained to Samuel, the truth is they were actually complaining to God. And they complained because their kingdom didn't look like other kingdoms. They were disappointed because others, other kingdoms had a king. They had a king who sat on a throne, who lived in a castle, who people could see. They had a king who they could parade through town in front of all the people. And as they did so, the people could celebrate their great king. They had a king who was a symbol of this kingdom's power and prestige. But Israel had no such king. Well, they had a king, but they didn't have a king that looked like All of the other kings. They couldn't see their king the same way that you could see other kings. They couldn't have a parade and march their king through town the way that other kingdoms could do with their king. Because Israel's king was God. So when they'd go to battle, for example, they would go to battle and their enemies would look at them and say, Hey, Israel, is your king afraid of us or something? Where is your king? We can't see him. Is your king afraid to come out to battle? And they had this wonderful response. They would say, no, our king's up in heaven. It's kind of like two kids fighting on the playground. Hey, my dad's bigger than your dad. And it doesn't really matter until you see each other's dad. It's just this thing you yell out because it makes you feel like it's a great comeback somehow. And often, the same way it works on the playground, the enemies laughed back at Israel. Yeah, right. Way to go. Good job. And eventually the Israelites grew embarrassed by their king. They were ashamed by God. They wanted a king like other kings. They wanted a king that people could see. They wanted a king that they could see. They wanted to fit in. Perhaps you've been there before. Whether it has to do with your faith or just life in general, perhaps you too have been at the place that your cry to God is, I just want to fit in. I just want to be like other people. 
This was the cry of the people of Israel as they came to Samuel. They came and they said, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel says, no, you don't. You already have a king. And they said, yeah, but we want a king that we can see. We want a king that other people can see. So Samuel argued, Samuel argued with them and said, no, 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 that's not what you want. And they said, yes, 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 that is what we want. And eventually God said, Samuel, give them a king. And God sent Samuel to a man named Saul. And throughout the, the book of 1 Samuel, we find that, that God sent Samuel to Saul. And Samuel, on behalf of God, picked Saul to be the great king. And we find out about Saul, that Saul was a good-looking fellow. Saul looked like a king. Saul was a king that Israel could be proud of, that they could brag about, that they could show to other people. And they could say, yeah, see, check out our great king. God gave them what they wanted. God let them replace God as their king. And one of the things that I think is really beautiful about the way that God works is that when God selected Saul to be the king, God didn't pick some doofus. God didn't pick in Saul this terrible guy. God could have picked absolutely anyone to be king. He could have picked absolutely anyone to rub it in their face to say, do you see how your request didn't make any sense? Do you see how you didn't really want a God? I tried to tell you you didn't want a a king. Sorry, not a God, a king. I tried to tell you you didn't want a king, and now look what you got. But instead, God picked a really great king. Saul was the best man in the land. He was the best possible option. Option for who could be king for Israel and everything started great. Saul did a great job being king of Israel, ruling underneath God as king of the people. But eventually Saul began to fizzle out. Saul lost sight of God. Saul turned away from God. And after doing so time and time again, God decided that Saul was done as king. Because of the poor choices that Saul had continued to make, God rejected Saul and Samuel left Saul. Samuel would no longer be God's voice to Saul. Samuel would no longer tell Saul what it was that God wanted for him or for the people. And without God, Saul would continue to decline. He would continue and eventually lose all of his power and all of his control. Saul would be replaced as king. And the story tells us that this was painful for Samuel. That Samuel grieved at what was happening with Saul. That he mourned for Saul. That he grieved the terrible choices that Saul had made. That they broke Samuel's heart. But also that Samuel grieved that God had eventually rejected Saul. That it was heartbreaking for Samuel that it had come to this point. We're told that that Samuel grieved as Samuel could see all of the things that had been possible. All of the things that could have happened if Saul had remained faithful. Samuel grieved on behalf of Saul. Again, a beautiful picture of the prophet. Then God came to Samuel again and he said, Samuel, it's time to stop mourning. Saul has made his choice and it's time to move on. It's time to go and find a new king. 
Now, on the one hand, this should have been really exciting and really encouraging because things are going downhill quick. So God says, go find a new king. However, in the land of kings, there was an understood rule. There was a, a rule that everyone knew that you had to follow, which was when you have a king, you can't get a new one. You don't put a new king on the throne or declare a new king when the existing king or the old king is already on the throne. It's called treason and it's punishable by death. And yet, exactly what God asked of Samuel is that Samuel put his life on the line in order for Samuel, in order for God to continue doing what God wanted to do through the Hebrew people. That Samuel put his life on the line, that he risk and go and look for the new king in order for God to continue to do what God wanted to do. Samuel was to go out and anoint the new king. And God told Samuel exactly how to do it. Go to Bethlehem. And when you get to Bethlehem, find a man named Jesse. And the king is one of Jesse's sons. And in order to avoid this looking like treason, go out to Bethlehem. And when you get there, tell them that you've come to perform a sacrifice. Which all of this true, all of this happening, it wasn't a disguise, it wasn't a rouge. Samuel went to, to perform a sacrifice. So Samuel went. He did what God had told him to do. He went to Bethlehem and he got to Bethlehem. And when he got there, apparently the elders were startled. I don't know all the reasons why, but apparently visits from prophets aren't exactly what you want to happen. Apparently that's a scary event. Apparently that isn't always very encouraging. So Samuel walks into Bethlehem and the elders go, oh no, what's happening? And Samuel says, well, I've come to perform a sacrifice and I want the elders to come and I want you to invite Jesse and Jesse's sons to come and gather with us. So Jesse was invited, his sons were invited, the elders were invited. We assume maybe a few other people in the community were invited and they came, they were supposed to come to the sacrifice. They prepared themselves in the way that they were supposed to by going through the, the purification procedures and all that had to happen in order to get there. And as they come into the room, purified, ready for the sacrifice, Samuel starts watching among Jesse's sons, looking for the next king, hoping that he can identify him immediately, that he can pick him out. And as they come into the room, Samuel found the most striking among them. It was clear to Samuel, this is the Lord's anointed. This is the guy who's going to be the next king. Samuel looked at Eliab and obviously Eliab was the choice. Eliab would be the next king of Israel. But God had other plans. Hey, Bobby, do me a favor and turn around and look at that thermostat and push the up arrow once or twice. I tried to change it a minute ago and it didn't go up. Yeah, I see all of you doing this. That's to keep you awake. I tried to change it to about 70. It was a little lower than that. You at 70 now? Okay. Okay. There it went. It kicked off. Just snuggle up to the person you're next to. Wendy says she feels comfortable. That's because you and Jeff are like around each other. Like you brought with you a blanket. That doesn't count. God had other plans. Eliab was not the choice of God. And in verse 7 it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel was wrong with his first choice. So rather than trying to pick again as all the sons were there, he just waited on God to tell him what was next. And they began to parade the sons of Jesse in front of Samuel as Samuel 
waited for the Lord to speak. And we get no indication anywhere in the story that Jesse or his sons knew what was happening. No indication that they knew that it was the next king that Samuel was looking for. They knew something was going on and they knew it had to do with the sons. But it doesn't say that they knew that Samuel was looking for the king. And everyone would march by Samuel and God would say to Samuel, no, it isn't this one. Now, everybody's with me, right? God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to find a king. He said, find a man named Jesse. Invite Jesse and his sons to come to a sacrifice. So Jesse gathered with his sons. Now, imagine Samuel's thoughts when he gets to the last of the sons and God has said, no, it's not this one. No, it's not this one. No, it's not this one. It was none of these. Samuel knows Jesse is there with Jesse's sons, and now it's none of them. Can you imagine his thoughts? Imagine what it's like to be the prophet sitting there in that room. Um, excuse me. Is there another Jesse in town? Is it possible I picked the wrong one? Nope, nope, this is them. Hey, uh, Jesse. All your sons are here with you, right? You, you brought all of them. And I imagine, it's not exactly in the text, but I imagine Jesse going, yep, yep, they're all here. These are all my sons. They're right in front of you. What is it you're looking for? And he goes, oh, hey, wait a minute. Where's the little one? Did anybody invite the little one? Hey, I do have another son, but he's the one out with the sheep. David hadn't been invited. Jesse and his sons were invited to come to the sacrifice with Samuel, and no one considered inviting the youngest. The one who was out busy taking care of the sheep, no one thought about inviting him. David was so minor in their family. David was so insignificant. David was so overlooked in Jesse's family that when Jesse brought his sons to gather with the prophet, David was forgotten. So Samuel had them send for him. Go and find the one with the sheep. And I don't know why this next part happens. I don't know if it's some kind of like fatherly punishment or the prophet's like smacking him on the hand. But he says, and none of us will sit down and eat until he gets here. So they all had to just stand there and wait until the youngest was brought before them. I can imagine the older seven standing there and going, what's he want with the shepherd boy? What in the world is going on? And why do we have to stand here and wait until he shows up? You see, in in my mind, as I first read the story, I assume, oh, they just ran next door to their house and they grabbed David, who happened to be in the backyard playing with the sheep. But we don't have any idea how long they waited. There's no telling where David would have wandered with the sheep. He could have been anywhere wandering through grassland. He could have been chasing one over cliffs or down a hill. There is no telling where David was with the sheep. So they waited as someone went and looked for him. And when this youngest son walked into the room, verse 12 tells us, And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. And for the very first time in Scripture, for the very first time in this story, 13 verses in, David's, Name 
is mentioned. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now my goal over the next several weeks as we're going to look at this, again all the way to Christmas, as we look at this, is that we can look at the life of David and that we can pick up some hints on what it might mean for you and I to be a people, for us as a church to be a people after God's own heart. But as we start that journey, as we begin walking through this, as we begin looking at the life of David, I think we have to begin at the place of recognizing the heart of God. And based on just these first few verses of David's story, on just this beginning, I think it's true what we see here, we see throughout the scriptures, everything that comes before and everything that comes after these 13 verses, we find that God has always had a desire to call up and use the most unlikely of people. God has always had a desire to use the least expected. God has always longed to use the forgotten. God has a heart for the underdog. God has a heart for calling up the least of us as partners with God in bringing about God's desires for God's people and God's desires for God's creation. One of the books I've been reading as I've been preparing to go to Chicago this time is a book called Anatomy of the Soul. It's about a guy named Kurt Thompson. And Callie keeps saying, man, you keep talking about this book all the time. This one, like, it's been overwhelming. Now, it did take me three months to read it, but it has been so powerful as I've read it. And I want to read to you a quote from Kurt Thompson's book, Anatomy of the Soul. It says, Scripture recounts how God got involved in the lives of particular people. A people who were not necessarily great partners for the purpose of collaboratively saving the world from itself and establishing God's kingdom of justice, mercy, and goodness. But this is no fairy tale. Naturally, given that the story involves real people, it's messy. Also, since it involves God, you get the sense that the story is not so much about how to simply clean up the mess, but how creative you can get with the mess you have. This is what God seems to be up to. Creating good, mysterious things out of messes. Friends. We have to start here at understanding or trying to understand that just like David, you are deeply loved by the creator of the universe. No matter what you may believe, you are not forgotten. No matter what you may fear, you are not unusable, incapable, invisible, 
unwanted or unloved. You are treasured by the creator of the universe. Even before you have done a single thing. We are a people overly consumed and dominated by right brands and right friends, right jobs and right cars and right homes with the idea that all of this stuff, all of these pretty things make us worthy, make us valuable, make us lovable, make us something that we're supposed to be. But this passage reminds us that that is not the way that God looks at us. That is not what God sees. God is not concerned with our appearance. Even though we are told, even about David, that David was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, it says in in verse 12. But God is concerned not with those looks, not with the looks of David or the looks of us or whether or not we do or don't have all the right stuff. God is concerned with our heart. God is concerned with our soul. And friends, before we accomplish anything, before you or I achieve any great work or for that matter, any small work, Before we prove anything at all to God, God has chosen to love us. Do you hear me? Before we can do anything, God has chosen to love us. God has chosen to love you. And you... And you, and you, and me. God has chosen to love us because this is what God does. God has chosen to love us because God sees in us before we can even imagine what we could possibly become. God sees what we can become. Friends, God loves us because this is the heart of God. From the very beginning all the way to the very end, this is the heart of God to love us deeply beyond what we could possibly imagine. And if you and I can come to the place of of grasping at least some morsel of this as true, then I think it becomes possible for us to grow into, for us to be transformed into a church people, men and women, after the heart of God. You are deeply loved by Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, this morning as we sit...
and wait. Would you allow that truth to soak into us? Throw at us reminder after reminder. Like the rain comes outside, steady and unflinching. Do the same with your love over us. Rain your love over us. So that we become drenched. Overwhelmed, overflowing with the love of Christ. Remind us as we think about this journey, as we think about being the church, as we think about being people of God, as we think about following you, Jesus, that everything begins and ends with the promise, with the truth that we are deeply loved by the Savior. Jesus, overwhelm us with your love today. And transform us. With your love today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Friends we want to take some moments. Together. Some moments to sing some songs of worship. Some moments to listen to songs of worship if that's what needs to happen. Some moments to allow some music to wash over us as reminders to us that that we are loved by the Savior. And this morning I want to encourage you to take this time. Take these moments, take these minutes, take this time as we sing together, as we listen to songs of worship together. Take this time to reflect, to listen to the voice of God. How is it that Jesus is striving, is working, is doing everything he can to communicate to you that you are loved? In what ways have you missed it and yet it's there? Allow the voice of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit moving among us to speak into your ear, to speak into your soul. I love you. And as it happens, as you hear it, as it moves through your body, we hope that it will continue to bring transformation in your soul. And if that's the case... After you've spent some time reflecting on what God is doing, we encourage you to respond. Respond to the voice of God. Respond to the calling of the Holy Spirit. Respond to God moving and stirring around us and among us. Respond to the love of God in whatever way is most appropriate. Perhaps today what you need to do is come and confess that you have never believed that true before. And today is the day. Perhaps what you need to do is to come today and say, today I want to receive the love of Jesus like never before. I want to be overwhelmed. I want my life to be changed. I want to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not there yet and you just need to come forward and say, I don't believe it. I think you're lying. And that's all right. Let's start a conversation where we talk through the truths of how the scriptures tell you that you are loved by the Savior. But any of that is completely acceptable. Maybe today what you need to do is just to get on your knees and weep. Because you're not sure anybody else loves you, but today you can be convinced that Jesus loves you. And maybe your response is just to sing songs of worship to the Savior. Whatever's right, 
Whatever that response needs to look like, we invite you to do so. Maybe today you need to be prayed for. Maybe today you need someone to pray for you and with you. So Callie will be up here and I'll be here and available. If we need some other leaders, I'll bring some other folks up to pray with you. But if you need to be prayed for, if you need to be prayed with today, we invite you to come. Take this time, listen to the voice of God, reflect what is God saying to you, and then respond today. Take this time.